This is Latin Pulse, a weekly analysis of news and public affairs in Latin America, brought to you through the cooperation of the School of Communications at Webster University, the global university headquartered in St. Louis, Missouri, and Link TV. And now, here's host Rick Rockwell. Bienvenidos and welcome to Latin Pulse. This week, we're again coming to you from San Juan, Puerto Rico. And this week, we're dealing with the media, identity, and politics in both Puerto Rico and Mexico. But first, Sarah Hancock has our weekly review of news from around Latin America. Setbacks this week for the peace process in Colombia. The Colombian government and the Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia, the rebel group known as the FARC, have been negotiating a peace treaty for more than two years. The rebels had observed an unofficial ceasefire for many months, although recently they had launched surprise attacks on government forces. This past weekend, the rebels officially renounced the ceasefire. The government struck back and killed a FARC leader and 26 others in a bombing raid. The rebels confirmed Jairo Martinez, one of the peace negotiators, was killed in the bombing. Conservative Colombian Senator Roy Barreras reacted to the outcome of the attack. Why wouldn't you celebrate? We aren't celebrating the death of anyone. But why do we continue to take the risk in this conflict? The risk of a spiral of violence, a spiral of attacks and counterattacks, a spiral of vindictiveness and revenge, resulting in more and more deaths. Some, like Barreras, are questioning the government's military strategy while the peace negotiations continue. After the bombing raid, the two countries hosting the peace talks, Cuba and Norway, called for both sides to observe a formal ceasefire. This past week marked the 51st anniversary of the start of the Civil War. At least 220,000 people have died in the conflict, and millions more have been displaced from their homes. Sports officials say they will clear the way for an exhibition game between Cuba's national team and the Baltimore Orioles. Earlier this year, Rob Manfred, the new commissioner of Major League Baseball in the U.S., said the league was pursuing that match due to the historic diplomatic changes between the United States and Cuba. After Manfred's announcement, Cuban officials had seemed cool to the idea, but this week the shoe was on the other foot. Major League Baseball said it had no details yet about such a game. The Orioles played the Cuban national team 16 years ago, the last time a Cuban and U.S. team played an exhibition match. Argentina's national surfing champion was riding the waves this past week on his way to his sixth straight national championship, but he made a decision to forfeit his title during the last round. The reigning champion, Martin Passeri, saw a man in a wheelchair among the crowd at the competition. The partially paralyzed man had been a competitive surfer, but he lost his ability to walk in an accident. Passeri decided to give the man one last ride. Instead of competing, Passeri hoisted the man on his back and they surfed. Passeri lost the match, but he earned worldwide applause for that act of kindness. For Latin Pulse, I'm Sierra Hancock. Thanks, Sierra. This week, we're coming to you from our annual visit to the Latin American Studies Association Conference with interviews conducted at that conference and the International Communication Association Conference, also here in San Juan. At that conference, we met up with Federico Subervi of Kent State University, and we spoke with him about the challenges for Puerto Rican identity in the modern media climate. 
if I were to list the challenges, the number one would be the control over local production of content, news and entertainment in particular, because so much of that is becoming part of the Hispanic and Hispanic content that does not address the realities and the needs and interests of Puerto Ricans. So when we talk about pan-Hispanic, the presence of Univision, Telemundo, that's what we're really talking about. Yes. The, so much of the corporate structure of media, are be, they're becoming so, so big, such big conglomerates, and they're looking for ways to reduce the cost of producing content that will maximize the audience. Well, when Puerto Rico falls into that process, some content may be lost that would be important and valuable for Puerto Rico as Puerto Ricans, for Puerto Ricans in Puerto Rico, and it becomes pan-Hispanic. Univision got into trouble for doing that, and in fact, it, its ratings might have surprised them, but it didn't surprise folks who knew what would happen when they don't have this local content. So they've had to revamp their, their news programs when they don't cover major issues here because, oh, that's not as interesting for the Hispanic community. They forget that Puerto Rico is not Hispanic. Puerto Rico is Puerto Rico, and Puerto Ricans not Hispanic within Puerto Rico. It may be Hispanic once you land somewhere in the U.S., but not while you're in Puerto Rico. It's like you don't Hispanicize Mexico. You don't Hispanicize Cuba. You don't Hispanicize Colombia. You don't Hispanicize Puerto Ricans, even though we are U.S. citizens and part of the political economic structure of the U.S., we are not Hispanic. We are Puerto Ricanos. And so this is a question of identity. Yes. How do we see identity represented? Did the media here represent the Puerto Rican identity fairly well? A lot of the content continues to be imports from the U.S., and even more so with cable options that are available in almost every home that wants to pay for cable or, or satellite TV. So the local content production has been reduced and so much of the content is now foreign even if it's in Spanish. The identity of who and what we are in all of our flavors is limited. Limited, and I can't put, the, the, put my finger on exactly all the ways it's limited, but it's not as easily available in the breadth of what's, of what's offered on broadcast stations. So obviously identity, even here on the island, is an issue. When we talk about Puerto Ricans on the mainland, yeah. you are an example of that. Is there an acknowledgement of Puerto Rican identity in the mainland? Uh, meaning uh, uh, recognition within of the that media with that over in the U.S. Yes. Oh no, no, no! I just finished a content analysis. This I can talk about because I just finished a content analysis of ABC, CBS, NBC, and CNN that spans from 2008 to 2014. I think it is our closing date, and of the thousands of news that are aired every day on these networks and for a span of seven or whatever number of years we did our study, multiply that, it's less than 1% of news about Latinos in general, and mostly problems with crime and immigration stories, and even a fraction of a fraction that deals with Puerto Rico or Puerto Ricans. Unfortunately, the two top names 
in the news over that span of years was, well, good, good for Sotomayor, uh, Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor. But the second most quoted name in that span of news was this guy who kidnapped the, 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 the girls in Cleveland, whose name is skipping me at this moment, but his was the second most noted name. Not our heroes, not our baseball players, not, well, Alex Rodriguez from somewhere else, but he was there among the top names, but not even the politicians of Puerto Rico when they're winning or losing elections, the scientists, that's invisible in those national network news. So the issues that we've talked about, um, Puerto Ricans are invisible on the mainland. Yes. Puerto Rican identity, at least as it's represented in the media, is a challenge here on the island itself. Yes. And, and so what do you see are solutions or do, do people care about these things? I see billboards here t telling people, please understand your identity, p please understand your history and your heritage. Um, there obviously is people in government and elsewhere who represent that this must be an issue and must be a problem. It is an issue and I'm going to try to address two things. The alternatives are that there are digital media productions, one man shows, one person, one woman or one small team of people. We had a discussion about that at one of the conference panels that are doing heroic works to present Puerto Rican culture, identity, and they're getting rage, rage, ra rave reviews, I should say. Just thousands of people liking them or watching them because there's a need, there, there's a hunger for media that regularly presents our culture. So that is taking place as an alternative to the general media that are homogenizing or limiting what they produce and tell about what, who and what we are. In terms of politicians interested in this, it depends on which politician is in power in what four-year or eight-year span of, 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 of governance. Because we have the reality that when it is the new progressive party, the right-wing pro-statehood party, they will do everything in every realm they can to minimize the culture that could lead to nationalistic feelings they will maximize all the culture that will make it more like the Americanos so that we can feel, the Puerto Ricans can feel and someday vote for being part of that. Well, not more than 45% of the voters have ever voted for statehood. I hope there's never anything more than that. Then those who are in the other party in power have some national cultural identity and they do promote it when they have places in the popular areas that they can support and do that. But they're also very cautious of not doing it too much because if you bring it too much national cultural identity, people will have a sense of wanting independence or more autonomy. So they can't do it too much either. They have this tenuous line. Meanwhile, the authentic Puerto Rican doesn't matter these ideological status issues they want to represent the song, the music, the dance, that which is more genuine to who and what we are, regardless of those political trends. And so, on our recent program, we talked about the ideal of independence and, and whether independence is a possibility, um, and explored the issue of maybe 
the author that we were talking to was talking, her book is called Dream Nation. That that's a dream, but it's not necessarily something that is, is a reality now. Um, in trying to keep cultural identity, is independence the only way to go? Well, it would be counter to the ideals of the statehood people for people to have too much of a nationalistic cultural identity because when the vote comes for statehood or not statehood, it'll be, well, if I vote for statehood, I'll probably lose part of my cultural identity, which the pro-statehood folks say, no, it won't happen. But they cannot deny, no se puede tapar el cielo con la mano, that if there were statehood, there are a number of things that would be eliminated. Now, this is not one that would be favorable, favored by er many people. In fact, maybe, maybe even thousands of Puerto Rico would be happy to get rid of the cockfights because of the cruelty to the animal. But that's not allowed anywhere in the mainland. You cannot have cockfights. In fact, people get in jail, get, get jailed in, in prison for having cockfights. Are they going to dismantle the million dollar or more cockfight industry of Puerto Rico once it becomes a state? Well, there's going to be a debate about that. What language will be used in schools? Will it be both or will it be primarily English and then maybe some Spanish? That's going to be debate. And those in favor of statehood said we have to learn more English. Let's get rid of Spanish as much as possible. Will we have a Miss Universe contest? Will we have our sports teams? Remember that one of the factors that contributed to the defeat of the pro-statehood referendum when the pro-statehood people were in, in, in power was that wonderful promotional ad that had someone with a, with, with a sweaty t-shirt and a medal and a hand came out from somewhere, grabbed the medal and said, with statehood no more. And that was a powerful image. Look, we become a state, we will lose our national cultural identity in international sports teams. There's no statehood person that will ever be able to confirm that Puerto Rico as a state is going to continue competing in international sports. It cannot. It will not. So when people think about that and know it, and, and if it's emphasized in, 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 our, in our dancing, in our music, and whatever, that's going to be de-emphasized by those who would be in the right-wing, conservative, uh, pro-statehood uh, cultural arena. We talked about identity, politics, and media. What do you think we need to talk about that we haven't already? I was saddened uh, earlier today when a colleague told me that she had been on a tour to El Yunque, the rainforest, and the tour guide started talking about Puerto Ricans being deadbeats, wanting to be on welfare, wanting to have babies, and just take, take advantage of government subsidies. And this is a Puerto Rican tour guide. It's a Puerto Rican tour by someone who's not from Puerto Rico but has lived here and is a tour guide. I was wondering, and in fact, I just changed my watch from my left wrist to my right wrist to remember to go talk to the guide office here at the hotel to raise a concern about that guy, whoever it was. Because one of the things that's missing, and here is where media and politics and all of this comes in, is that Puerto Ricans have a good sense of self of in, as individuals, but a very negative sense of who we are as a collective. Puerto Ricans are lazy. I'm not, but Puerto Ricans are lazy. Puerto Ricans are dirty. They leave trash in the, in, in, at the beach when they go. I don't, but then you look at them and they did leave the cups and whatever. So it's a collective sense of we're not good. So it's better if we're some part of some other place that's better. I've seen dirty beaches in almost anywhere I've gone in the world. 
I've seen lazy people anywhere I've gone in the world. What I do not see as much, and I wish there were more here, is people who have a great sense of positive value to overcome challenges. There's too many people here in my dear island who will struggle but only limit because they've not been empowered. Their sense of empowerment of the Puerto Rican people as a collective is developing but not broad enough and I wish there were more of that to have a better sense of identity not, as an in, not only as individuals but as a collective and to do things that can and should be done to improve our stature, our, our pride. We're very pride individually, but not then in the world out there because we're always comparing ourselves with the gringos, with the americanos, with the whatever it is. When we have so much that we can and should offer, if we build that starting from within and then collectively. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Federico Saverdi of Kent State University, our guest today on Latin Pulse. Join us here at the International Communications Association Conference. One last thing. I work at Kent State University, but I'm Puerto Rican from San Germán. And I just live and work out there, but this is my home, this is my country, this is my, na my nation and my identity. Thanks for the clarification. My pleasure. Coming up, media, politics, and controversy in Mexico. Stay with us. Democracy is synonymous with independence. Independence is synonymous with emancipation. Emancipation is synonymous with sovereignty. Sovereignty is synonymous with superiority. Superiority is synonymous with arrogance. Arrogance is synonymous with domination. And domination is synonymous with dictatorship. Dictatorship always finds its way. Amnesty International. Learn. Indignate. Act. Welcome back to Latin Pulse. Manuel Alejandro Guerrero is with the Universidad Iberoamericana in Mexico City. He's the co-editor of the new book, Media Systems and Communication Policies in Latin America. We asked him about Mexican media giant Televisa, Mexican President Enrique Peña Nieto, and the state of Mexican democracy. Are we in a democratic space? Are we going backwards, forwards, or are we standing still in Mexico? Well, uh... It's difficult to say that in, in, in one sentence, but... Uh, no, no one <laughs> sentence, please elaborate. <laughs> well, the point is that uh, uh, when we had our transition in, in 2000 with the, with the PAN, uh, we witnessed like a sort of liberalization of the media landscape. And uh, the media didn't, didn't become more, more uh, um, democratic and critical, but they became more free to do their criticism. Uh, not necessarily became more professional, but they were more free to uh, criticize and to put forward different topics that were not discussed before, uh, beginning from the cartooning of the president to whatever other topics you wanted to name. Um, what I'm saying that they were not necessarily professionalized is because when you see that the way most of the media outlets do their reporting, the sources are still uh, official sources and uh, they, they, they cover more discourses of politicians and the, the sayings of politicians more than doing research on their own or going in depth into topics or public policy results. Um, so in that way, Journalism and the media did not necessarily professionalize during these 12 years of the, of the opposition and pan uh, uh, um, 
governments. What happened with the return of the PRI is that the PRI knew which buttons to, to push in the old system that has not transformed into more professionalized system, but only to profit better from market conditions. And with the return of the PRI, they accommodated immediately to the, to the new dash old discourse of the, of the pre-government. So uh, now what you see is that uh, not necessarily from the office of the presidency you need a, a, a phone call saying, oh, please don't, don't show this and that. The media are doing that for themselves uh, in the hope that in this way they will be, you know, um, in better position to negotiate other other things with uh, with the government. So the Mexican corporatism that we talked about all through the 20th century still exists. Yes, corporatism and clientelism as 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 mechanism as mechanisms for uh, exchange of benefits for political support. So if I'm a politician for the National Action Party, for the PAN, if I'm a panista, where do I turn to get my voice in the media? Do I have to go to Reforma, then one of the newspapers, the newspaper chains run by the right? Do I have any space in the electronic media? Uh, what is interesting is that before uh, the, the transition, there was like a pyramid, pyramid, uh, pyramid system. In, in, in Mexico. Always a pyramid system. Yes, uh, where the president was, you know, the, 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 the axis of, uh, of, of the whole system. What happened is that this fragmented into many small pyramids according to the states, uh, to each of the 32 states in Mexico we have, to uh, strong political actors or to local bosses or to, uh, you know, uh, leaders of uh, unions or, or opposition parties even because politics now needs or requires competition, votes and campaigns and every party is putting a lot of money into the media so now you pay a lot of money to the media but that does not necessarily um, assure that or secures that you have a, a um, a very favorable coverage. Not necessarily is the case. Uh, it depends in it, where are you located in the power uh, structure. If you are a very eminent figure, okay, they will cover you. But if you are a local boss or a local uh, candidate for a Senate, for, ex for example, that does not necessarily gain you the, the, uh, the, 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 the uh, very good coverage from the media. So now we have a, a fragmentation with many local bosses and many bosses operating at different levels, uh, throwing a lot of money to the media system. And the president is one of the main actors, but it's not, it is not the, the, the only actor anymore. So now it's like a very complex chess game. Some might argue that that sounds like pluralism and maybe that really is democracy. But I wonder also then for the left, does the left have a space? Conversely to my question about the right. Yes, uh, well, the institutionalized or more institutionalized left, like the PRD, for instance, and, the, and other parties, yes. But uh, the guy who is still perceived like an, uh, as an outsider, uh, like uh, Lopez Obrador, who leads the party called Morena, uh, he has no coverage. He has, um, uh, he's usually cre strongly criticized in traditional media by the, the closest uh, media to the 
establishment, not necessarily to the regime, but to the establishment. And this is the new leftist party, him yes. breaking away from the, the revolutionary democratic party, yes. the PRD. Yes, yes. The difference, uh, and, and your question was very, your observation was, it was very interesting. Okay, that looks very much like pluralism. The difference is that, well, according to theory, pluralism work uh, in the sake of a so-called uh, general collective interest of everybody, or of the most visible groups at least. In that case, uh, they work for their own interest and the interest of small groups. It's, it's not. It's not for the in, uh, for a collective interest or for the interest of, of, of or, or, or a general interest of the collective good or whatever. Uh, they, they are working that for their own cooperative and corporate dash political interests. So what haven't we talked about when we talk about media and politics in Mexico that you think is important for people to know? It is important to know that we have a lot of. Um, of media outlets, surprisingly uh, large number for the number of uh, actual readership in Mexico. For instance, we have a lot of uh, printed press in, in each of the states you go and uh, you will find the local local edition of, or newspapers, but uh, very low level of readership. How do these media survive? The key is government subsidies, indirectly or directly. And, uh, so both the federal and the state governments are yes. subsidizing these newspapers? Yes, but not openly, never openly, and you have no regulation because it's no penalty to, to, to subsidize the press in certain countries like Sweden. But the point is that you do that openly. In the, in the Mexican case, it's never open because there is no reg uh, regulation uh, to distribute or to allocate uh, governmental resources for advertising. No. So media corruption still exists. Yes. So that's one of the main facts. The other is the low level of readership. And the third one is the, the, the very scarce, real, uh, important debate of political life in broadcasting. In broadcasting, you will very seldom see a, an in-depth debate of, political, of the political situation in Mexico. We are now living a very, very... Uh, uh, difficult time in Mexico in terms of uh, public life, in terms of democracy, in terms of the freedom of speech and of the press. Uh, uh, freedom House has just uh, put us in the uh, 2015 uh, index as a non-free country in the same level with Russia, and uh, that's not good. And, and why did they do that? Is that because of the closed nature of the media in some respects? In many respects it is, but also because uh, the, the, the institutions that are supposed to be in charge of uh, imparting and, uh, and uh, the, the justice institutions are not working for protecting journalists, are not working for protecting freedom of speech, and you have now uh, the situation where, okay, less journalists are being murdered by organized crime than before or kidnapped by organized crime, but uh, this declining number uh, is um, contradictory with, with the increasing number of journalists that has been harassed by governmental officers. So when we talked about Mexico going backwards, this is a place where Mexico is going backwards. I guess so. Thank you so much.
Manuel Alejandro Guerrero of the Universidad Iberoamericana in Mexico City and the co-editor of Media Systems and Communication Policies in Latin America, our guest today on Latin Pulse. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this week's program coming to you from San Juan, Puerto Rico. And now an apology from us to you, our loyal listeners. Last week, due to technical difficulties, we were unable to come to you online at our regular Friday time. We're sorry for this problem, and we hope it won't happen again in the future, whether we're traveling or not. And as long as we're discussing travel, travel support for this week's program comes from the School of Communications at Webster University. If you'd like to send us your suggestions or comments about the program, you may leave us a message online via SoundCloud, or you may write us via email. You can find us at latinpulse at gmx.com. That's latinpulse, all one word, at gmx.com. If you're looking for earlier editions of Latin Pulse, we're available in various locations on the web, including iTunes, Facebook, and Flipboard. You can also find us in the Brazilian online game, Mini Mundos. To see the Latin Pulse archives of video programs on Latin America, you can check out Link TV's website, www.linktv, all one word, .org, and then slash Latin Pulse, also all one word. That's www.linktv.org slash Latin Pulse. Thanks for joining us this week on Latin Pulse for our entire team, production assistant Sierra Hancock and producer Jim Singer. I'm Rick Rockwell. Escuchen nosotros. Gracias por su tiempo. Latin Pulse is produced at the School of Communications at Webster University, the global university, headquartered in St. Louis, Missouri, with music copyright support through Webster University and Link TV. This program is copyright 2015 Las Rocas Productions.